You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. So Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Christ, filled with the Spirit of Christ, praying that Christ would be exalted uh, in our lives, not just, not just in how we sing on a Sunday, but in how we live our lives. And God, we need your word and we need your spirit. We need your people to be able to do that. And so God, I pray right now that in your sovereign power and in your infinite kindness and goodness, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see wondrous, glorious, beautiful, practical, truth from your word so that we could live lives that exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would open your word right now with faith, believing that it's living and that it's active, that it it is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it cuts through the thoughts and intentions of every heart, all our excuses and rationalizations to get right to our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do what only you can do, God. A sermon can't do that, but a message can. That's what we need today. We need to hear from you, Lord God, and we pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be in Proverbs 5 uh, today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, the usher's going to come up and down the aisle right now with copies of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Proverbs chapter 5. We've been in a series called, Lord, Give Me Wisdom. And we've been looking at the book of Proverbs. And and today we're going to be looking at, Lord, Give Me Wisdom in My Sexuality. And we're going to work our way through Proverbs chapter 5 today. Uh, The whole chapter And this is an entire chapter in the book of Proverbs. There are actually several chapters specifically devoted to this idea of dealing with sexual temptation. There is a a direct link between living a life of wisdom, a life in the fear of God, and how that affects the way we think about our sexuality. We're going to look at four things today from God's word that are going to help us to live in wisdom and not in foolishness as it comes to our sexuality. Here's the first one, to listen to the word. And that's what we're going to do right now. But God's word repeatedly tells us about the importance of listening to God's word. Proverbs 5 verse 1 says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. The the father speaking to his son is saying, son, I really want you to hear this. And God the father is, is speaking to his sons and daughters right now saying, I really want you to hear this. For some of you, you think that sexual temptation is not an issue for you, but God really wants you to hear this. For some of you, you know sexual temptation is, is a, is something you're ensnared in right now or something that has ensnared you in the past. Listen, God loves you and he really wants you to hear this. He goes on to say in verse two, that you may keep discretion, that you may live your life in a way that is wise and not foolish. And then he says, and your lips may guard knowledge. He, he, he wants his son to hear the word of God and reflect on the word of God so often that it's not just going in his ears now, it's actually coming out his mouth. 
to write God's word on, on our hearts. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it, by, by, by guarding God's word, keeping God's word in our hearts. He wants so badly for his son to hear the word and then be able to speak the word. So the, it goes from the ears to the lips and this is why, because there's another pair of lips that the father is warning him about. In verse three, he says, for the lips of a forbidden woman. A Proverbs 5 is all about warning about this forbidden woman. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea about the Bible and what it communicates about men and about women. If you were to read Proverbs chapter 5 and for that matter, Proverbs chapter 2 and Proverbs chapter 6 and Proverbs chapter 7, there's all of this, all of this discussion about the forbidden woman or the adulteress. And, and you might think that the Bible is, 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 is slanted towards, uh, towards misogyny, towards sexism, thinking that, that, that women are the problem when it comes to sexual sin. Uh, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. Listen, the, the, it, it takes two to tango. Do you know what I'm saying? And the problem is not a women. And, and we need to understand, we need to study God's word carefully. The whole book of Proverbs is always saying, my son, my son, my son. The, the structure, the genre of the book of Proverbs is a father talking to his son. That's why there's all this repetition about the forbidden woman. And so if you're a, if you're a woman here today, uh, you, you could replace that with the forbidden man. It, it, it doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't even matter how you happen to be tempted sexually, if you know what I'm saying. The, the, the forbidden man or the forbidden woman is simply... Any potential sexual partner outside of God's plan for marriage, which is one man and one woman for one lifetime. That's what's being described here with the forbidden woman. So you can filter that through your own context, your own experience. This could be a friend, it could be an acquaintance, it could be a stranger on the street or a stranger on the screen of a device. They could be on a billboard, they could be on a magazine. You might only glance at them, uh, have one opportunity to look at them. You might have plenty of opportunity to spend all kinds of time with them. But there is this forbidden man, this forbidden woman that God's word is repeatedly warning us about. You could encounter them physically, you could encounter them mentally, you could encounter them visually, you could encounter them electronically. There's all kinds of ways that the forbidden woman or the forbidden man may come across your path. And notice how it talks about the lips of the forbidden woman. This is why it's so important that we hear the word of God and that we embrace the truth. Because especially when it comes to sexuality, I'm not sure if you've noticed in our world today, there's a lot of people talking about it. There's a lot of opinions and the volume is turned up. It's turned up in our schools. It's turned up among our friends. It's turned up in our culture, in the media. There's a lot of things being said and the noise and the volume needs to be turned on mute and we need to crank up the volume of God's word and what it tells us about sexuality. And here's, here's why the father is so earnest in the way he's talking to his son. Verse three, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, as sharp as a two-edged sword. 
I'm gonna need a, a volunteer uh, today, someone with a brave soul and a strong stomach. Can I have a, can I have a volunteer? <laughs> brave soul, strong stomach. I wanna offer honey to someone. Can I have a volunteer? Okay, Desmond, you just got voluntold. Come on up here. Desmond always sits in the front row. He ends up in half my illustrations anyway. So Desmond, thanks a lot for being here. Here's, here's a microphone for you. And uh, here's uh, two crackers. So the first one, I'm going to give you honey. And I just want you to describe your experience. Maybe I'll hold the other cracker for you. Okay. I want you to describe the experience of having honey. You're not allergic to honey, are you? Okay, good. <laughs> All right, so go ahead. So what's honey taste like? Just give me a couple of... Uh, it tastes really sweet. Yeah. Delicious. Good, good. Mm -hmm. That's terrific. Okay, so now, Desmond, I want you to try wormwood. <laughs> and um, um, this is uh, anti-malarial, anti-parasitic. This is, uh, this is uh, uh, wormwood. It comes from a, from a plant that, that grows all, all around us. It's a beautiful plant. And I just want you to try five drops okay. of wormwood here. And uh, can you hold the, yeah, so just try five. One, two, three, four, five. There you go. Okay. And so just take that. Look at it. Look at everyone while you're taking it. Mm -hmm. um. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm. And so describe, describe wormwood for everyone today. Probably one of the more bitter substances I've tasted in my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not pleasant. It's getting no, worse no. the more you talk about it, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. yeah it was like, as bad when it first goes in. Like the more you get into it, the worse it gets. Right, yeah. right, yeah. That's Probably true. for the next couple hours, it's really gonna, yeah. Wow. And so, um, so let's hear it for Desmond. And uh, there's a water fountain right out the, right out the door there. Now, if I were to ask Desmond, having tasted wormwood, would you ever want honey again if you knew that right after you had the honey, you had to have wormwood? He would definitely say, no way. The, the, the shortness experience of honey, if honey is gonna have that kind of an aftertaste, I don't want anything to do with it. And that's what God's word is telling us about sexual temptation. It draws you in with honey. God created sexuality. It, and and there, are, there are wonderful, glorious, beautiful aspects to it. So it draws us in with what is good, but then it twists and distorts it to give us the, the, the breath of death. And I'm sure there's gonna be no lineup afterwards of people wanting to try uh, wormwood. And, and so we, we need to understand the importance of listening to the word of God. Because loved ones, there's so many lies. Sexual temptation, just like all temptation, is rooted in a lie. It's a trick. It promises something it cannot deliver. Not only does it fail to deliver on the promise, what it does deliver is worse than you could ever imagine. So loved ones, hear the word of God. Lean forward, Bible open, pen ready. Let's allow God to speak to us about the importance of living wisely in our sexuality. He goes on to say in verse five, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. Even the person saying the lie is also believing a lie. And, and it's leading to Sheol. It's leading to death, to the grave. 
And then look at the father, verse seven, again. And now, O sons, listen to me. And, and, do not depart from, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. It's as though the, the father mentioned the forbidden woman and the guy sort of catches a glimpse of her. And now the father is like, listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying to you right now. And then he says in, in verse eight, keep your way far from her. It's as though the young man was, he caught a glimpse of the woman. And he starts almost just instinctively heading towards her. And he says, no, 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 keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. This is the second thing. Hear the word. Secondly, avoid temptation. Avoid temptation. The theme throughout the Bible when it comes to dealing with, with sexual temptation is unashamedly unheroic. Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife. The, the Apostle Paul says, flee sexual temptation. Don't try to be a hero. Find out ways in which you are tempted and avoid those ways. Know yourself. Know where you're strong and where you're weak. And even where you think you're strong, chances are you're probably weak. To avoid it at all costs. Here's what happens. It says in verse nine, if you don't avoid, you'll end up giving in. Verse nine, lest you give your honor to others, your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan and your flesh and your body are consumed and you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. At the, I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Notice what's being taken away from this person. Their honor in verse nine, their years Verse 10, their strength is being taken away, their labor. Listen, sexual temptation, sexual sin will suck the life out of you. It will carve at your soul from the inside out so that you're walking around like a shell of who you used to be. You will look at yourself in the mirror and you will wonder what happened to you. It will take away your honor, your strength, it will take away your money. So much money is spent on gratifying lustful sexual desires. It will take away your time. It, you, you could be productive in doing so many other things. It, it will drain you and then ultimately it will destroy you. At, at, at the end of that paragraph in verse, in verse 14, it says, I'm at the brink of utter ruin. It will destroy your relationships. It will destroy your reputation. And so stay away from it. Don't, don't think that it's just gonna be honey. There's wormwood coming after. So avoid temptation at all costs. The book of Proverbs has a vivid, a vivid depiction of what this looks like, about, about how important it is to avoid uh, temptation in Proverbs 7. So turn to Proverbs 7. This is the other chapter that's almost exclusively devoted to sexual sin. Proverbs 7, verse 6. The father's still talking to his son and he says, For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. 
and he lacks sense. And this is what he does, verse eight, passing along the street near her house. So he's given an example of someone who did not follow the advice of Proverbs 5, verse 8, which is keep your way far from her. Do not go near her house. He goes and he passes along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. Has he sinned yet? No. Is he being wise? No. He hasn't sinned, but he's being very, very foolish. Verse 9, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And so you need to understand, you need to, you need to understand this for yourself. You need to understand this for your loved ones. There are places and there are times in which we are more vulnerable to sexual sin. The place may be work. It may be someone that you work with where you are tempted to cross a line. You know you are forbidden to cross. It may be times in which, which, which you are alone by yourself with your thoughts or with the internet where you are more tempted. There may be certain times, notice this is happening at night. Less people are out. There, there's less accountability visually for, for people who are around you. Also at night, when you're physically tired, you are more, you are more likely to give in to sexual, because your flesh is weaker. And sexual sin appeals to the flesh. So he's, in the, he's, he's out at the wrong time, he's in the wrong place, and here comes the wrong person. Verse 10, and behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. You, you should have a footnote in your ESV Bible that the word wily there means, means guarded. You know, the, the, the wily coyotes, he's, he's not explicitly telling the roadrunner that he's trying to destroy them, he's guarded. And, and, this woman, although she's willing to reveal everything as far as her flesh, she's dressed like a prostitute, her heart is guarded. She's not revealing what her true motives are. She's not looking for true intimacy with this person. Her heart is wily. And notice, remember I talked about the volume and the lips and, and all the different messages we hear about sexuality. Verse 11, she's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home now in the street, now in the market, in every corner she lies in wait. Do you ever feel like that? The temptation is approaching you from all different angles. She seizes him and kisses him and with bold face she says to him. This is a hilarious come on line, by the way. I had to offer sacrifices and today I paid my vows. Basically what she's saying is I was just at the temple worshiping God. How's that for a pickup line? I was just at Bible study. <laughs> See, but he, here's, here's one of the other lies. This person is saying, well, I have a relationship with God and, and if, you, if you go on and, and, and come with me, then you can keep your relationship with God. This won't have any effect. I, I'm still having fellowship. If, if you sin in this way, it's not really gonna change things. That's a lie. And then it goes on uh, to say in verse 15, and so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. And so notice how personal it is. The forbidden woman, the forbidden man will say, you're, you're the only one for me. You mean everything to me. Verse 16 and 17, I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. There's another lie. This isn't love. She doesn't love him. He doesn't love her. 
This is a, this is a substitute for love. This is only lust. Verse 19 and 20, here comes another lie. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. The Hebrew people operated on a lunar calendar. And so you can guess here that it was nowhere near a full moon. And so the, the assumption was we have plenty of time. There's no way that we'll get caught because my husband, he won't be back for a long time. So sin always lies to us and tells us that we won't get caught. It also always lies to us that there can be an expiry date. This will all be over by the end of the month. I'm going to do this just, just once. Okay, 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 now it's over. Once I get in a serious dating relationship, then I'll do it. Oh, okay, engagement, that's a big deal. I'll deal with it when we're, okay. once we're married, once kids come, we always assume that we can just stop. We always assume that, hey, when full moon comes, this will all be over. I'll figure out a way. I'll, I'll, listen, the thing about sexual sin is it draws you in and brings you deeper and deeper, further and further. Don't believe the lie that it will just be this once. Even if that husband came home at full moon, he's gonna, at full moon, he's gonna come, he's gonna go on another business trip again soon. And she's gonna come calling again. So we need, we need to understand the lure of temptation. She goes on and on, verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. Again, the, the significance of lies. We need the truth because temptation is always talking. And we need to know how to talk back and to talk to ourselves and remind ourselves of what God's word says. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Verse 22, all at once he follows her. This is where sin starts. He hadn't sinned yet until now he chooses to go with her. So think back, think back. A lot has happened before he chose to go with her. Have you ever had an experience where you give in to temptation and it seemed like it just kind of overwhelmed you? It seemed like you weren't even in control. Chances are, if you think back to the hours leading up to that or the days leading up to that, you were taking small steps towards it. So it felt like all at once, like it just came out of nowhere, but it rarely does come out of nowhere. He made foolish decision after foolish decision. We must avoid temptation because if you don't avoid it, it will become so strong that you feel like you can't overcome it. He says, look, look at these words, as an ox goes to the slaughter or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. That's, a, that's, a, uh, that's an animal being caught in a trap and then shot with an arrow. A bird rushes into a snare. He thinks, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna perch on this, on this branch and then I'll just fly away. And then the bird tries to perch and the bird is trapped. Or the, the deer tries to run through the woods and seems so free and then, and then is trapped. And the ox, the poor ox, Going to the slaughterhouse. I mean, what's going through the mind of an ox when he's in the field? Hmm, looks like there's some grass out here. I think I'm gonna eat some grass. That's all the ox is ever thinking, right? What's the ox think when he's going to the slaughterhouse? Hmm, this is a strange looking field. I wonder if there's some grass in here. He has no idea what's gonna to happen to him. Wisdom has, has the ability to look forward in advance. What is, we're not like the ox. We're human beings. We have the power to make, the, to make wise and good decisions. We can, uh, we can guess what is coming 
ahead of us. I love Proverbs 27, 12. Can we look at that on the screen? The prudent sees danger. Prudent is a synonym for wise. The prudent sees danger and hides himself. Don't be a hero. But the simple go on and suffer for it. So we've got to be looking ahead. Verse 24 of chapter seven, and now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Are you seeing this, how important it is for us to hear the word of God? Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low. I want you to understand this. If you're here today and you are struggling or have struggled with sexual temptation, you are not alone. Many, many a victim has she laid low. And her slain are a mighty Throng. There's a number of ways to kind of interpret that Hebrew phrase. So the ESV says mighty throng, which, which, kind, of, um, which kind of encapsulates both interpretations. Is the mighty referring to the size of the number, the size of the crowd? Or is it referring to the kind of people that are found in the crowd? You see, some translations say it's, it's just a large group. But the King James translates it, many strong men have fallen victim to the forbidden woman. Here is the biggest danger, thinking that you're strong enough. You might be here today and, and sexual temptation not really ever been a problem for you. That doesn't mean that you should just be going near to her house, you'd be surprised. You, you might, this might have been something that you really dealt with in your youth or, or young adulthood and you think I'm kind of done with that now. Listen, that doesn't mean that you should be going near to her house. Don't assume that you're strong. Don't be a hero. Avoid a temptation. Here's, here's, here's the best way I can help you when it comes to uh, the allure of sexual temptation. When you visualize yourself with that person and when you think of the pleasure, be an actual, you're actually feminine or the thrill, whether it be a fantasy, whether it be, whether it be an actual, you're actually thinking about crossing that line with that person, whether you're alone by yourself surfing the internet, when those images, when those thoughts come into your mind, I want you to think of this image right here. To those of you who aren't Star Wars fans, this is Admiral Akbar. Now Admiral Akbar is helpful when, it, when you're facing sexual temptation for two reasons. Number one, his appearance will turn anyone off. It's like a cold shower, just, you know. Secondly, is what Admiral Akbar is known for in Return of the Jedi. He had a few other lines. He's kind of a minor character. But Admiral Akbar, at a key moment in Return of the Jedi, at a real turning point in the movie, Admiral Akbar says, It's a trap! <laughs> and so the next time you feel tempted, you need to picture his face, his ugly face, that will help, but remember his words. That's what Proverbs 7 is saying It's a trap. So right beside your, 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 your Bible verse that you put up beside your computer screen, you put a picture of Admiral Akbar. You text it over to your friends. And you use this almost as a little code word to talk about, you know what, I'm struggling right now. I need Admiral Akbar's help, you know what I'm saying? And so understand, we've got, don't be a hero, avoid temptation. Getting back now to Proverbs chapter five. 
Proverbs 5, we're at verse 15 now. It says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and, let, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Here's the third thing we need to know that is wisdom when it relates to our sexuality is to cherish your spouse, to cherish your spouse. The, the imagery in this passage, a water and a well and a spring and a cistern and a fountain, that's all euphemistic for sexual relations within marriage. The best defense against sexual sin is a good offense in your marriage. Go on offense. Pour all of your, listen, sexual sin drains you. Don't let it drain you. Sex within marriage fulfills you, brings you joy. And so make that decision to pursue your spouse. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Verse 19, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Now, I wouldn't write that in your Valentine's Day card, which is coming up, by the way, gentlemen, like Tuesday. You're welcome, wives. Um, but this is Hebrew poetry. This is, this is how they described love. This is how they described beauty. I mean, our poetry isn't that, isn't that much better. Like being shot by Cupid's arrow, that's a little violent, isn't it? Like you got this oozing wound and an arrow sticking out of you, but that's, how, that's, that's poetry, right? It, it, it's, it's a metaphor. And then notice just the, the unashamed, detailed description in, in, at the end of verse 19. Let her breasts fill you at all time with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. You've got words like intoxication, you've got words like delight, you've got words like rejoice. Some people get this wrong idea that, that all God wants to do is make people miserable and to stop them from having fun. No, God created sexuality. He didn't look at Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden and be like, oh, what are they doing? He designed it. And, and he designed it to be enjoyed. And he had... Be intoxicated frequently. It says rejoice always. Be intoxicated in her love. Oh, it's supposed to be a regular thing. So married couples, you need to make sure that your marriage is thriving emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And they all affect one another. And maybe you need to sit down this Valentine's Day, maybe you need to sit down this afternoon and just have a frank discussion about how you're doing emotionally and relationally, spiritually and physically. And how is that going? Because you need to understand that, that if you are withholding yourself from your spouse and if you can be more sensitive to their needs sexually, then you are, you are making them more vulnerable to sexual sin. You also need to understand that if you are on the side hiding a sexual sin from your spouse, that will erode your physical relationship. Satan wants to tell you you can have both. You can't have both. And it will take you apart emotionally. It will take you apart spiritually. It will take you apart relationally. 
And not only will you be a shell of who you once were, your marriage will be a shell of what it once was. Now, I want to be really clear on what I'm saying here. If a husband, for whatever reason, chooses to withhold himself from his wife, and then a wife goes off and sins sexually, that is not the husband's fault. If, 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 a, if a woman withholds herself from a, from a man and the man goes off and sins sexually, it's not the woman's fault. Listen, Adam's pretty good at blaming Eve for his problems. We need to take responsibility. The woman is responsible for her part. The man is responsible for his part. Each, each person will be judged for their own sin. There will, no, there will be no asterisks, there will be no footnotes, there will be no parentheses to say this sin doesn't really count because of the way this person was treating them. We are all responsible but we need to understand how all of those things fit together and work together. And listen, if it's not working, you need to talk about it as a spouse, uh, with your spouse. And if you're not talking about it and talking about it is not working, then you need to get some help. Because you may not be on that path yet, but that path, you're, 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 you're pretty near to her house. And so follow what God's word says here. Cherish your spouse. You should be thinking what the rhetorical question of verse 20 and your spouse should be thinking this as well. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Why, why would you want to? Because you're so satisfied with what's happening within your marriage. This is something that we, we have to sensitively, patiently, prayerfully talk about in our marriages. And one of the ways that you can, you can act on this to proactively get better at cherishing your spouse, in your sermon handout on the, on the reverse side, it talk, it, there's a, a Cherish Marriage Conference that's coming up. And, and this, is a, this is something that's being put on by our parent church at Harvest Oakville. You can sign up uh, with your spouse and go and learn about how to stoke that fire, not just physically, but spiritually, relationally, emotionally in your marriage. You might be here today and say, well, okay, that's fine and good, Ted, but I'm single. How are you going to help me? Well, the night before, there's actually a, another conference called the Sacred Search, which is all about singleness. And you need to understand, there are some particularly young men in our church who I know for sure, because I've been there. You're struggling with sexual temptation. And you feel like, I, how could I ever be a husband when I have this happening? And so you're delaying pursuing marriage seriously. But you need to understand, you're struggling with sexual temptation and you're delaying marriage. But the fact that you're delaying marriage is making you more vulnerable to sexual temptation. And so you need to get serious about being a husband. You need to get serious about dealing with this sin because it will follow you right into marriage if you're not careful. And then if you are dating, you also, if you're somewhere in between singleness and, and marriage, you need, you, need to, you need to understand, you don't want to ever get in the habit of sleeping with someone that's not your husband or not your wife. Because if you'll do it before you're married, chances are you're probably willing to do it when you're not. Because you're, you're, you're training your adultery muscle. And so you, you, you're, you're not just looking for someone who's faithful to you, you're looking for someone who's gonna be faithful to God and faithful to marriage. Because, because you're just so, that's, that's what holds a marriage together is not just the love for one another, which is so important, but the commitment to what marriage means. If you don't value marriage before marriage, 
How can you be so confident that you'll value marriage after marriage? And ultimately, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you have the privilege of enjoying sexual intimacy or you don't, we all need to understand that the relationship between husband and wife as designed in God's word is not an end in itself. It points to something greater. Ephesians 5 says that it points to the beauty of the gospel and Christ's relationship to the church. We may not have the joy. At be, uh, uh, we need to understand that even though we may not have the joy at this moment or maybe even ever of enjoying sexual intimacy, we know that as a Christian, we are actually enjoying and delighting in what all of that is ultimately pointing to. Which leads us to the, to the last point. Ultimately, when it comes to your sexuality, are you willing to trust the Lord? Are you willing to trust the Lord. Are you willing to trust the Lord to have that hard conversation with your spouse? Are you willing to trust the Lord to initiate an accountability relationship with a friend, a real accountability relationship? Verse 20, or sorry, verse 21, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. God is watching. Ultimately, listen, there's a lot of negative consequences to sexual sin. I'm sure in a room this size, we could come up with a pretty long list. I would have some things to add to the list in my own life. There's lots of negative consequences to sexual sin, but it's not the negative consequences that, would dr that should drive us away from it. It's the fact that God is watching and that God sees and God's seeing works on two levels. Normally, when we're thinking about the guilt and the shame that we feel, we think about God up there and he sees us. He's kind of rolling his eyes at us, being like, cut it out. And when you factor in the holiness of God, it's a lot more serious than that, but you also need to understand the goodness of God. All your ways are before him. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that he always provides a way out. And his kindness leads you to repentance. And so all your ways are before him and he's not just looking down on you in judgment, but he's looking down on you like a loving father and saying, don't do that. Here's the way out. Take it. Listen to my voice. Follow the leading of my spirit. Listen to your conscience. To trust the Lord that he will provide the way out. That, that young man in Proverbs 7, he went near her house. But listen, there was a lot of opportunities for him to stop listening to that woman and to walk away. There's always a way out. Trust the Lord. Because here's why, verse 22, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Maybe you're, maybe you're here today and you, 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 just, you feel so trapped and you don't know how to get out of it. And maybe what I'm about to describe is your experience. You you. You struggle with a particular kind of temptation and you give into it. And, and, and rightfully so, you feel ashamed, you feel guilty for what you've done. And then you try, never going back to that. Never again. I am never, this wormwood taste, I'm never going back to that. And then you go through life and then you spend time with your friends and you feel so ashamed and they ask you, how are you doing? How are you really doing? And, and you just say, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm great. And then you, you go through worship and you hear sermons and, and, but you're, you're being hollowed out on the inside. You still feel hor horrible about it. Now you not only feel horrible that you did something, now you feel horrible that you didn't actually tell your friend. 
So, and, and then what happens when you feel horrible? What do you want when you feel really bad? You want to feel good. And then the lips dripping with honey start talking to you. And you're like, I feel so bad. I'm... And then without even knowing it, you go right back there. And now you're thinking, well, then if I talk to my friends or if I talk to my spouse or if I talk to my pastor or my small group leader, now I'm not just saying that it happened once. Now I'm going to have to say it happened twice. And so I, I tell them I'm fine, but you're resolved. I'm, I'm never going to do that again. And then you try to go through the Christian life with this unconfessed sin, with this thing that's ensnared. You continue to feel bad. You feel even worse now because it's compounding on top of each other. So then you go back to it again. And then it's three times, and then it's four times, and then it's five times, and then it's a week, and then it's a month, and then it's a year, and then it's a decade. And you need to understand, if you feel trapped like that, that's why you feel trapped. Because the guilt and feeling bad about your sin is actually what is driving you back to it. And, and you're hearing these lies that you're a failure. Are you, are you even really a Christian? How can you do that? You need to understand that the turning point starts today. If you feel trapped, you can be set free. Right in the book of Proverbs, it says in Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You need to confess it, you need to confess it to the Lord but listen, if you confess it to the Lord and really earnestly confess it to the Lord and really get on your knees and on your face and say, God, I will do whatever it takes to make this right. I can't live like this anymore. Chances are the spirit will lead you to say, you need to talk to someone. I'm glad you're talking to me. Prayer is good. But the answer to your prayer, God, free me, will probably be God saying, you need to talk to someone else besides me. You need a friend. And if you're married, your best friend should be your spouse. And I know that may be hard and we can try to help you with that. And listen, details are not important, but you need to let them know because you're sinning against them. If you conceal your sin, you will not prosper. But if you confess, if you confess, and if you believe the gospel, you will begin to see transformation in your life and you can stop that cycle of I sinned, I covered it up, I feel horrible, so I sin. You see, what you need to do is you need to deal with the guilt that you feel and you need to understand that God loves you even in the midst, even when, when we're wading through filth he loves us and is reaching out his hand and offering to cleanse us. And you need to understand that when Jesus came and died on the cross, he died for your sin. If you look at verse 23, the very end of the chapter, it says, he dies for lack of discipline. The wages of sin is death. We deserve to die for our sexual sin. We deserve to die for all sin. But the good news is that Jesus died. We die for lack of discipline, but Jesus died for us. I mean, Solomon, even the one who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Proverbs chapter five, failed in following his own advice. Solomon sinned sexually, just like his father David sinned sexually. 
And all of the sons of Solomon and all of the sons have failed and sinned until one son came and lived in complete purity. He even spent time with prostitutes and never lusted after them and they always felt comfortable in his presence. One, he's not a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in every way and yet without sin. There's only one son that has ever properly obeyed and followed Proverbs chapter five. And he died, listen, he died on the cross not simply to forgive you. He died on the cross to free you. He doesn't want you to be ensnared and he has the power and the resources. If you will have the humility to take the necessary steps, he will set you free from sexual sin, from any kind of sin. But until you deal with the guilt of sin, you will never be able to fight against the power of sin. Habitual sin thrives on that cycle of shame and guilt, feeling bad, wanting to feel good. The cycle must be broken and it's broken by understanding that you are forgiven. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that today? Because I do. I believe, that, I believe in turning points. I believe that God can do something in your life right here, right now. And I know right now some of you are thinking, well, I can do this on my terms. I'm just gonna quietly pray and commit myself to the Lord. I'm not gonna invite anyone in. Listen, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not gonna pray that for you. I'm gonna pray that you confess to the Lord, but I'm gonna pray that you confess to someone else as well. And I'm gonna pray that God would use his word, his spirit, and his people and you may be here today and you might be one of the rare few, one of the rare, rare few people where sexual temptation is just really not an issue for you. But listen, you might be that person that's gonna get confessed to today. You, you might be married to someone that you thought was just like you, but has been living a whole other life. And you're gonna have to understand and appreciate the gospel afresh. You're gonna have to understand that if you've broken one part of the law, it's like you've broken the whole thing. And so you need to understand the gospel and how you've been forgiven and you need to be able to extend grace. I'm enabling, not condoning, but to be able to extend grace and it will take time. But God will greatly use, and maybe you're here in that person's life. And maybe you're here today and you think, well, you know what, this is, this is great. You know, I needed this message four or five years ago, but I, you know, God sent a work in me and now I'm strong. I just want to encourage you, don't assume that you're strong. Don't think that you can go near her house. And some of you are here today and the, you have dealt with it. And hearing a message like this is just bringing back all of these, all of these bad memories of, of, of wounds are getting open that we're, we're, we're really on their way to being healed. I want, you under, I want to remind, those wounds are healed. And I don't want to make you, I don't, I, don't want to, I, I don't want to put guilt on anyone right now. I want to point everyone to the cross of Jesus Christ. And understand this, listen loved ones, his power to change you is always stronger than sin's power to destroy you if you will allow his power, his grace to flow into your life. And so let's pray that he would do that right now. And so heavenly father, God, we bow our heads in humility. We bow our heads in reverence. And we wanna humble ourselves before you, God. 
And God, I, I pray, I pray especially for those right now. Lord, we all need to hear this message, but there are some here right now who are trapped, who are ensnared by it. And God, I pray that they, that they would resolve in this moment to confess their sin to you and to believe that they are forgiven and to believe that you will set them free. And God, I pray that you would be leading them right now, even by your spirit, Lord, to get their eyes on Jesus and to see that he has loved us with an everlasting love and that he has chosen to forgive us and that his blood covers our sin and that his blood makes it possible not only for us to be forgiven, but to have our consciences cleansed. Because Lord, until we deal with the guilt of sin, we'll never deal with the power that sin has over us. And so Lord, I pray, I pray for a mighty stirring of your spirit. I pray, Lord, that there would not be condemnation in this room. I pray that there would not be guilt or shame in this room, Lord. I pray that your kindness would lead us to repentance and that you would give us a sense of your life transforming power. Jesus can forgive us and Jesus can free us. And so Lord, we pray that you would do that. And why don't we just lift our voices right now and, and say that together. Let's say, Jesus can forgive us. Say that. Come on, lift your voices. Say, Jesus can forgive us. And say this even louder, Jesus can free us. Yes, Lord, we believe that that is true and we are willing to do whatever it takes, Lord. And we, we pray that you would lead us and guide us by your spirit. We cannot do this on our own. And that you would surround us with loving community, Lord. That we would confess our sins to one another as James, as James 5 says, so that we would be healed, Lord God. We believe that you can do it. We are willing to do whatever it takes, Lord God. We offer ourselves to you. To be used by you, Lord God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.